Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining Purpose Driven Sobriety, the podcast. Um, I want to thank today's sponsor, the sweetest friend, one of the sweetest friends I have, um, is Kate Holcomb, um, who owns Modern Media. If you are in need of anything marketing-wise, please check out Modern Media. And Kate Holcomb, I love you. Thank you for being a supporter for us in recovery. Um, We're very, very grateful. So today, um, we have Miss Gina on uh, to tell her story of Experience, Strength, and Hope. And, And Gina, first of all, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so grateful that you decided to join me today. Thank you so much. Well, you and I, no, totally my pleasure. You and I um, have a mutual friend. Well, she's a family member of yours, Miss Rachel, who was on several episodes back. Um, She's just an absolute gem, a doll. And she introduced you and I. um, And um, like I said, I'm just so, so grateful that you have decided to come on and be with me today. So, girl, on this show, we just simply share our experience, strength, and hope. It ain't nothing but a thing. We just, you know, tell people like it is, how it was, and what happened, and what we're like now, um, just to try to reach that person who's still suffering from the disease of addiction. So, I'm going to, like, step aside, girl, and you just give me all the things. Tell me about you. Oh, my goodness. I thought <laughs> you were going to ask me questions. No, ma'am. You give me your story. Tell me all about you. What, what was it like? Well, I'm old. Oh, so... stop it. <laughs> No, she's not. She's gorgeous. I'll try to shorten this story as much as possible. Girl, you got an hour. I'm sure that I was born um, an addict and an alcoholic. I I definitely present or identify as an alcoholic um, because I have all the alcoholic traits. Mm -hmm. I drink alcoholically. I shop alcoholically. I eat alcoholically. Uh, I so let's hang on. Let's, let's, put a, let's put a pause on that for a second because I know that that a lot of people have no clue what it means to be alcoholic but not be drinking. So t- so why don't you shed some light on that for us? Tell us what what does that mean? I dr- I shop alcoholically. I eat alcoholically. What is t- so tell the person who doesn't have any clue what that means. What does that mean? Uh, well, one is never enough. Uh, one is too many, rather. A thousand is never enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, I'm never satisfied. Well, there you go. Okay. Which is one. There's Perfect. an empty hole. I have to continue. Uh, it's just, I'm always looking for relief. It's temporary. Right. You know, and um, I didn't know what I didn't know till I knew it, mm. you know. Mm. Um, I'm an only child. I was born um, in the 60s. Uh, my dad had one car. He was at work. Uh, my grandma was with my mom when she went into labor. And my grandma called my mom and said, Billy, Jean is having a baby and hung up. And my dad went to the hospital. We were still home. So I was born at home. Wow. Um, my grandma delivered me. And uh, my dad was 17. My mom was 21. My, then my dad joined the service. So um, he was in Vietnam. And uh, my parents didn't make it. Uh, their marriage didn't last. And my mom, um, you know, she was going to raise me differently than her parents raised her, right. which was really a strict, abusive background. Mm. And, um, you know, for if she was late for five minutes, she was grounded for the summer, things like that. And uh, my mom be- had a very codependent relationship with me. There was no separation. 
uh, there was no boundaries. I had no boundaries. I didn't have bedtime, nothing, you know, mm -hmm. and I slept with my mother. I bathed with my mother till I was 12. And she's like, Gina, you're just too big to fit in the bathtub with me. Oh, wow. Uh, my mom was my running buddy, ultimately. Um, so how old were you when they got a divorce? I, I mean, they weren't really together while he was in the, he was in Vietnam for four years. By the time I think the divorce was finalized, I was three or four. Oh, wow. So I, I remember little bits of my dad being there, mm -hmm. but we were, you know, moving around a lot military wise. Sure. Uh, I'm from Queens, Long Island. Nassau County was where I left. I um, was born in Queens, raised in Queens. Um, just running the streets, you know, seeing older people drinking and doing drugs. And I'm like, I'm never going to be like that. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I was 12, um, I was, I knew my mom was partying. And, you know, my uncles, which are rather close to my age, two years older, uh, were like, well, your mom's not going to be mad. And um, I was smoking weed and drinking in the bathroom and then coming out and noticing my mom wasn't mad. And that that's really what started me using at home. But I remember like the first time I drank, uh, I, I blacked out, I threw up and my friends dragged me home and rang the bell and I couldn't wait to do that again. So I've been alcoholic since 1978. And then whatever came after that, that was fashionable at the time. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it was like, wow, what happened to Gina? You know, I really took that and ran with it. And I'm one of those that have tried everything to get sober. Uh, I've moved. Uh, I've been married five times. I have three children by all different dads. Matter of fact, they're born in different decades. Mm. And uh, I've been in the service. I was in the army. Thank you. Uh, great starter of everything, finisher of nothing. Uh, I was a graphics artist. I've you know started college for different things a lot of times. So I spent a lot of years. By the time I was 33, I must have been in 100 rehabs. I was in one detox 29 times. Oh wow. The only time, the only reason I didn't go back is because I financially closed their doors. Oh, really? But everywhere I went, I brought me. I didn't know that. I didn't right. know the problem was drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an answer for what was wrong with me. Mm. Uh, I got addicted to heroin. I smoked crack once for five years. Wow. I didn't put that down until I found heroin and um, I liked it. I thought everybody should try it once. <laughs> um, my greatest last uh, idea, I guess, was to move to Florida. I've been here since 2004. And I was like, well, I'll never find cracking alcohol in heroin. And, you know, that's just not, that wasn't the case. Um, love was never enough. Detox was never enough. If detox works, I would have been sober in 1984. Uh, my kids banging on the sliding glass door, mommy, don't go. Uh, I couldn't see past the next one. I had to go. It was an obsession and a compulsion that I felt that I needed to satisfy. So I, even though I heard them crying in the background, um, I told them I would be right back. And I didn't know if I'd be back in an hour, a day, two days, two weeks, two months. Tell me about, tell me about that. Let's go back to the, to the first time that you decided to, or, or that you knew you needed a detox or, or you need, when was the first time you sought help? Tell me about that time. Um, whether it be voluntarily oh. or you were made to seek help. It's a really, it's a really long story. But the very first time I was introduced to treatment, it, I was 23. Um, I was pregnant. I had a son that was born positive tox for um, alcohol, heroin, and crack. And I used, until I went to the hospital, I kept denying that, um, I guess I didn't think the baby was coming. It was Labor Day, September 4th, 1984, uh, 1989, sorry. Uh, that was the first time I went to detox. I had been in and out of the rooms, but I didn't think I belonged there. They were too happy. It was cultish. I, 
you know, I thought if you had my problems, oh, you wouldn't man. be this happy. We were just talking understand. about that. We were just talking about that in a meeting today. And that's that's that. What is it? How? What is the term we use? Terminal uniqueness. That yes. that when because I, I can remember I mentioned in a meeting this morning with my women. You know, uh, we I, I can remember going into the room and these people were laughing and and cutting up. And I thought there is no way that you're as bad as I am. Or you wouldn't have anything to laugh about. I didn't, just like you said, I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew it. I had, I had no clue that that's what recovery looked like. That that they, they they were actually having productive, air quote, normal lives and were able to laugh at now that they were past things. But I was so still down, so deep into the darkness that I couldn't find a single thing to laugh about. So I totally get what you're saying. Totally right. get what you're saying. Oh, yes. I was loitering with no intent to recover. Mm. Um. It was submission. You know, I was doing it for everybody else at that time. And I was suicidal. So you didn't uh, know, you didn't, did you consider yourself an addict or anything at the time? At the t- no. Okay. Got it. Yep. I, I didn't either. I didn't either. I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had my son, um, I was, they didn't really have detox. I don't know. Detox wasn't a big thing back then. And I was put in a psych ward. I was put on, you know, different kinds of medication. And, um, you know, when I finally got, this substance is out of my system and I wanted my son back. Uh, you know, they, I walked him to um, a child protective services car and I strapped him in and, um, you know, they carted him off to foster care. He was a couple of days old. And my mother at that point stopped using drugs. She was drinking beer. Nobody knew that, you know, beer was acceptable. Um, my mother went to court and fought to get custody of my son. And I think he was 10 days old and she did get temporary custody. The judge court ordered me to day treatment uh, and I was gung ho. But I remember them bringing meetings into the treatment center and I couldn't, I was laughing. I didn't raise my hand and say, hi, I'm Gina, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I had fun. You know, I met guys, I was still very selfish and self-centered, very self-interested. But I thought that I was doing the right thing at the time. And I managed to graduate that program in 10 months. And I went before the court and um, the the judge said, um, you know, Miss Arnold, I don't grant crack mothers back their babies, but I'm going to give you custody back. And I got custody of them back. And um, I didn't I, I didn't know how to be a mom. Um, I managed to stay pretty clean and sober. I would think, you know, on the weekends, I might have had coffee with a little splash of Irish whiskey in it. Uh, I had a really good job. I got things back fast. I'm smart. I went to college. I got a degree. I got a good job at a moving company. I was an administrative assistant to the owner. Um, and my mother still had a very strong bond with my son. And so we had joint apartments and he just, oh, she raised him. And then um, my best friend uh, had overdosed in 96. Mm. It was February. And at the funeral, she had no family. I arranged the funeral. And at the family, her boyfriend um, gave me a matchbook of heroin. And uh, I was off to the races that night. So, you know, for the next few decades, I was chasing heroin. Uh, I did get married. I've been married a lot. And, you know, one of the times that I got married, I was 30. Uh, he was from another country, an iron country, an iron curtain country, no addiction, never had a drink. I thought this was going to be good for me. Um, I wound up having another baby. I had used the whole pregnancy, but I thought that I got smart. And four days before she was born, uh, I cleaned up. So when they gave her, uh, you know, whatever they do, urinate the baby, you ate the baby, it was clean. And I got to take her home. And then I was just in Brooklyn on another run. And it was another baby my mother took care of. Mm. You know, and I did that for a lot of decades. And my mother, I put my mother through hell. Um, You know, we moved to Florida together and I went off and met another guy, insane alcoholic. We're both 40 and we decide to have, we didn't, we had sex one time. I got pregnant. Oh my goodness. And um, it was so far along that I had to keep her 
I don't regret it now. Uh, she's my daughter. She's my baby. She's 17. I'm mm. 57. And um, that was 2005. My clean date is 2012. I can fast forward it to that if you'd like. Yeah, we got time, sister. You just tell me, tell me what you tell me what you think another another person suffering needs well, to hear. In between all of that, I lost custody of my middle daughter. Um, she was six. She went into foster care. My mother refused to go get her out. She was raising my son. who was like 12 at the time. Uh, the courts gave me, you know, a stack of stuff I had to do and I just couldn't do it. And my mother said to me, Gina, if you love her, fight for her. If you don't let her go with the family that will raise her. And I did love her. That wasn't the point, you know, I managed to fight for her, but not clean. I, I fraudulently did this, you know, I beat the system. So I thought, and I raised my daughters and my son in complete chaos, driving under the influence, having accidents, leaving the scene, leaving home for weeks on end. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what my kid's story is to other people. I remember a judge one, telling, one time telling me, Miss Arnold, don't ever think about getting into the education field because not only can't you have your children, you're never gonna work with other children. And I'm like, oh, wow. fine, I don't even like children. Today, my life is quite different. Uh, parents trust me with their children. Um, I do, you know, I could do family therapy. I have parents that are in the loop with the 18 to 30 crowd. Um, my mother didn't make it. My mother passed away in 2012, which was very difficult for me. I wasn't sober and my mother did not get to witness me mm. draw a sober breath. Um, and, you know, all along I had been going to meetings <laughs> My mother was going to meetings. Um, my mother had found a way out and I didn't get it. I expected her to still drink with me on weekends. That never happened. I was full of fear, full of self-pity. I was clinging, claiming diagnoses that they were giving me. I was bipolar too, with suicidal tendencies, major depression, you know. Everything else besides what it was. Borderline. And I claimed these, I'm like, they're like, you need your medication. Are you on your medication, you know? just on every medication you could possibly imagine. Uh, always in an external attempt to fill a void within me, I did not have God. Mm. And you know, my attempt to find God was non-existent at the time because that meant me you know, being accountable. And I wanted to continue acting out on my bad behavior. I wanted to continue blame shifting. Mm. I wanted to blame everybody else for what was internally wrong with me. I, I just didn't get it. I was abused, um, I don't want to, I don't know how live this is and I don't know about the rest of my family watching, but there was things that went on in my family that, you know, didn't make sense to me as a child that I had no answer for. Um, just a lot of abuses, you know, mm -hmm. more than physical. Mm -hmm. uh, in the long run, I overdosed on alcohol, believe it or not. I had overdosed, you know, a lot of times on heroin, mm -hmm. but um, my body shut down. It's only a machine. There's only so much. I remember drinking three Cisco's that morning. It's like a wine cooler. It's a very strong wine cooler. And my daughter, who was in 11th grade, uh, they don't have lunch. It's like eight to two, right? 11th grade. She came home for lunch that day and found me DOA in the sunroom and called my son and said, mommy's dead. Matter of factly, they told me this. And my son called the paramedics and they came and they, you know, whatever they do, they tried to revive me. I was in a coma. I was uh, in intensive care for a week in a coma hooked up to the, all these machines. My youngest daughter was six, mm. Gia. Katrina was 15 or 16 and Joey was 22. And the doctors told my children, make funeral arrangements for your mom. She's not gonna make it. 
And after a week, I remember pulling the, uh, I couldn't breathe, so whatever, you know, tubes were in my throat, I couldn't breathe. And then I pulled them out and they baker acted me, which is, they put me in a psych ward against my will for trying to commit suicide. I was mad. And um, when I got out of that, I went to the liquor store. I get, I get it. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Was it even my last time? I was so determined to make that work for me. I was like, that was my love affair. And it betrayed me. It promised me joy and happiness and relief and trust. And, and it betrayed me because when I drank, I was so super sick. My mother was dead. Um, she had died on the couch from uh, a stroke mm. in the middle of the night. And I, I remember seeing her on the, on the couch and she had her own room and the TV was on. And, and I didn't go to her because I was withdrawing and I thought she was being quiet for me. And when I went in the morning, my little daughter came to me and said, mommy, Nana's not getting up. And I knew that was, you know, there was no reason to go on after that because I wasn't a good mom. I was unemployable. I wasn't a good friend. And um, anyway, I lived. I didn't want to. Hopeless. I hope that painted a desperate picture of hopelessness. And uh, it was October 1st. It was 630 in the morning and the birds were chirping and they weren't annoying me. And I used to dread morning. I wanted all night to just last. When it started to get light, it would freak me out. And they weren't annoying me and I was homeless. I lost my kids. They weren't taken away by the state, but different family members stuck up, stood in and took them away from me. I was living with some Spanish guy in a room and we were drinking and um, he was abusing me physically and verbally. And I was walking around outside and it was twilight dawn. And I said, at a desperation, if there's a God, like I'm gonna need a sign. How arrogant, right? And I'm gonna need a big one, by the way. And, um, and I got a sign. <laughs> Tell me about that. I doubted it. I freaking doubted it. it. It was in my own voice and it was coming from above and, um, and it said something. And I, and I was so desperate. I asked for the sign, the exact sign again, and I got the same sign. And I'll tell you what the sign was. Because I qualified for every anonymous program. I was in NA for seven years. I qualified for them all. You can't go to AA because you don't have a drinking problem. You have a heroin problem. So I spent a lot of time in Narcotics Anonymous. The sign said, if you go to AA, they will save your life. And I was like, the first time in so long, my shoulders came down and I said, okay, I'm gonna go to AA. So I crawled into AA that day. I don't even know how I got there because the next meeting was at 12 at noon and the meeting was packed and it, and it was 205 pounds. My hair was matted, dreaded because I couldn't even brush it. I couldn't even shower. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. I had no more detoxes. I was that sick from alcohol and heroin withdrawal. And when they said, I don't know if anybody's been to a meeting, but they go like, who wants to pick up a white chip and start this way of life? My hand went up and I did not do this. So this is a walk of shame. And I picked up my last white chip that day. It was October 1st, 2012. Mm. And I never looked back, but I fired myself. I'm no longer in charge of my life. And whatever the God that I didn't have, I borrowed yours until I could find one and build one mm -hmm. and trust because I didn't trust anybody mm -mm. I didn't trust. And I went through the 12 steps. So the relief for me came in the form of fast and furious 12 steps. And when I surrendered on that day, the, it was God's army world and swooped down and saved my life. So did you get a sponsor that October 1st? How, how, how soon after um, you went to that meeting, did you have a sponsor? Okay. So I'm not real. It was October. Yeah. Um, I went, so somebody from that meeting picked me up with my plastic bags full of clothes, my black garbage bags. Mm. I went and got one daughter 
and my other daughter was with safe. She was six. I got the 15 year old. We went to a woman's battered shelter where they let us stay, where I was in the middle of nowhere and walked to meetings. Oh, wow. And I walked to meetings. I was there. She went to school and the director of that program, who's still my friend today, Ms. Carla Doobie, she saw that I was really more of a dick addict than battered. And she fought for me every Friday to stay. It was a four to six week program. I was there for five months. So every day I would go to this one meeting and I would raise my hand. Hi, I'm Gina. I got 15 days, 20 days. And everybody laughed at me. I couldn't get 30 seconds. Mm. I was so proud of myself. And then one night I walked into a big book study and it was a guy, his name was Doug Williamson. I never heard, I never heard the big book alive. So I wound up finding a way that he would sponsor me. And he said, yes, but not on my terms. He said, you'll meet me here, so-and-so, so so that I know you're going to be there. And I did. And we did all 12 steps. And after that, he said to me, I said, well, what's next? I'm so excited. And he said, well, we're done. And I was abandoned. Like, once again, I was like, what am I going to do? Well, it turned out that it was okay. I got got another sponsor who's still my sponsor today, who his name is Eddie Pirro. He's from New York. I can't, that's a whole nother hour of how I got him. I had given you his information. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I was sponsoring girls by step six and I'm just like Bill's story. I'm thinking, but I'm, I'm horrible. Nobody's getting sober. I'm running into trap houses by myself, crack houses, pulling girls out, trying to save the world, sponsoring the world. And it's not working. And somebody said to me, but Gina, you're sober. Yep. I'm like, I get out of V8, right? <laughs> so then I, I get it. So what he said to me on the phone was, this is what I remember anyway, in the economics of God, it takes some of us to die so most of us can live. Mm. And then we hung up the phone because somebody in church had given him my number as support. I said, oh my God, that's my sponsor. And I called him back and he said, really? You know, and I said, yes. And he called me every morning. We went through the big book word for word. Word for word. That book was alive to me. It wasn't about how to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. To it was live. about how to live life yes. on God's terms because mm. life on life's terms was killing me. No, life on Gina's terms. Life on Christine's terms. I get it. I get it. It was just too much. I, I got the kids back and you know, I had to find an apartment. I didn't get a job till I was two years sober. How do you explain that? Mm. How do you explain how I survived? You don't. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. God carried me. People of AA carried me. It wasn't AA that saved me. It was God that saved me through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. So I'm committed. I'm committed to the commitment. I sponsor uh, long distance, mostly, I prefer, um, because I don't get involved in all the drama. I'm a 12-step sponsor. Uh, I do have my favorites. I mean, they're my friends, my right. energy, my, my, you know, my friends for life that I sponsor here in Broward County. Uh, they're sponsors. I'm a grand sponsor. My sponsor is a great grand sponsor. Uh, I sponsor in prison, which is really, a, a whole I can't other tell world. you how humbling that is when yeah. COVID came out and they couldn't bring meetings in anymore. So my effects on sponsoring the people in prison affords them to be prison sponsors for the people that come in. Wow. Uh, I just find joy in that. You know, I, I'm not under any illusion. I'm not confused about anything I have in my life is because I sponsor. Mm-hmm. I don't say no to AA ever. Mm-hmm. I'm not confused. I don't have time. Oh, I have too many spots. I never. It always amazes me when people say, oh, uh, I have too many sponsors. I have one or two or three. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Why would I say no? Now it's their job. Reach out to me. Right. Half of them don't. Half of them want to sponsor a name only. Meanwhile, people are dying. People are dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
The reality is people are dying. I work in treatment. It's it's an everyday occurrence. Tell me I went about, to school. Tell me about I was that. able to finish school. Um, well, when I first got sober, uh, my son took me in. I lived with him for a bit. He's an amazing guy. He's got his own business now. He's married. I have five grandchildren. He has four girls and a boy. He just had a boy. Uh, so they moved away. Uh, I finally was able to get a job. I got a job as a tech, a PhD in treatment. And that was my first introduction to working with addicts, um, which interested me. Mm-hmm. I really like them. And they, I guess I have a magnetic person. I'm not a, I'm not really an extrovert. Mm-hmm. I'm an introvert that does things extrovertly. Sure. So while I was Same. doing that, they afforded me the luxury of doing group. Mm-hmm. I taught big book study. It's what I do. Um, and then um, I said, well, you know what? I already had an associate's degree. So let me go to college for the uh, CAC. So I did that. And then um, I just kept going to school. I got a bachelor's in psychology. I got my CAP, which is Certified Alcohol Addiction Professional. I went. I then went on to my master's. I got a master's in mental health. I then got my MCAP, which is a Master Certified Addiction Professional. Uh, in Florida, you have to do internship. It's different than other states where you can just go get licensed. Right. Uh, I did a two-year internship with a family and marriage therapist, which was amazing. I got to do mapping, and I'm still running groups, and I'm. I did case management for a year. Um, I passed. I passed the license test on the first try. I thought the guy was lying to me. I'm like, excuse me, you gave me the wrong paper. He's like, little short bull guy. He's like, is your name in, the, in picture on the front of the paper? And I'm like, yeah. That's you. And I left the door and I cried so hard. I, I had nobody to call. I have no grown ups. Mm. I know. Don't, doesn't it suck to realize you're the grown up? It's like, ew. That's it. There's no backup. I'm it. I get so that. I called oh. my daughter and I, and, you know, she was a, she was 16 and I said, she goes, mommy, what happened? Did you have a car accident? And I'm like, I muddled out the words. I passed. It was just too much for me. I just. That's amazing. So I'm a licensed therapist. Does it, does it even sound weird coming out of your mouth? It's like, who is this? Yes. Yes. I have my own business. Um, my business, and this came to me in in my, God came to me in my sleep and I woke up the next morning. I remembered the name and I wrote it down, born to connect. Mm. And I said, damn, I registered it. I bought the name. Nobody thought of that. What? So my company's name is Born to Connect. I'm a private individual therapist. I don't know. Things just came together. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing to to sit back, you know, and and you know, I, I as well, Gina. I you know, I I try to be cautious not to you know um, revel too much in the good because that can be just as bad for me as because I'll find a way to screw it up. But but to pause and just look back and just think, how the actual hell did that happen? You know, I mean, we know how it happened, but you it's just like, because I don't know about, no, I do know about you. I can go back to the day before I had my epiphany. Uh, you know, I can go back to that feeling in a heartbeat. And I'm so thankful that God hasn't removed the ability to feel that desperate darkness right. for just a moment, you know, um, because I heard, I heard it, um, you know, the analogy recently, you know, we, we in recovery have to if we're doing the deal, have to become so comfortable with our darkness that we're willing to go into someone else's and try to help them find their way out. Be that hand, you know, um, that that I believe, and I, I see that you believe that it's it's God trying to reach them. Because for me, I, everything was so loud and so noisy in my life, I couldn't hear God. So it took a, a, an annoying woman, you know, to go, hey, come this way. You know, and I could hear her voice, you know, who is still my sponsor today because my, my sober year is also 2012. Um, you know, it, it, I was able to hear her voice when I couldn't hear anything else. And that's what the beauty of what God can do with us when we get in recovery. 
it's like, man, suit up and help me save some of my kids, man. You know, I can just, what an honor. What an honor. Well, I know for sure um, God's restoration is perfect. Mm. It might not be what I like or what anybody else likes, the misery and pain that we go through over losing a loved one. Mm -hmm. But God's restoration is perfect. It just means God needed them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not confused at all. Um, I'm extremely disciplined and it took a lot of discipline. I was very undisciplined. Mm-hmm. Most of us I let are. God discipline me in a very simple way outline. This is the easier, softer way for me. So to just have compassion for others is key. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can keep their interest mainly by listening. Right. People don't want to talk unless they feel like they're being heard. Right. My sponsor taught me that. Everything I know, my sponsor taught me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. I know I have to make it my own, but that's the truth. I'm able to be compassionate because I care and I've been there and I don't think I'm better or worse. And you can have fun in recovery. Mm, yeah, you can too. Being sober is fashionable and fun. Right, right. Girl, yeah. I, I do remember, Rick, my husband and I were talking about that recently, how I, I can remember it was within the first week of, of you know, of me getting sober and I remember sitting at, at one of the tables and and it someone said something about not ever drinking again and I just thought well shit my life is over my life is over so I'm texting my husband going we will never travel again we will never go out to eat again we will never you know just because I could I could not even begin to imagine going somewhere especially going to some of the restaurants here in town that I would been thrown out of numerous times right. um, and, and not drinking why, why even go there I mean I, it I just know. I didn't have a clue I did not have a clue what a beautiful life I was missing out on my grandmother used to travel with a suitcase of pills, a literal suitcase. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't even go on vacation because I had to go to a methadone clinic. Right. You know, right. we went to Vegas and every morning at six o'clock, I had to think somebody had to drive me to a methadone clinic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just bondage, complete, complete slavery. Complete slavery. Complete yeah. slavery. But there is hope. And, and Hold it's, on, pain ends. Right? It's, 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 a, it's absolutely amazingly beautiful to see our mess be used as our message you know, and of hope for someone else that just, yeah. I, I just never, ever would have imagined that, um, I would have the strength, you know, because I got to tell you up until, and it's funny, I was talking to some of my girlfriends about this, you know, up until I, cause I'm, I turned 11 in March. Um, and up, up until about nine and a half years sober, I refused to tell my story. Um, I refused to sponsor. I refuse. It was, it, it wasn't, it, it may sound kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. I wasn't selfishly doing that. I was not doing. I was not doing those things out of fear. I didn't want to screw anybody up by sponsoring. I didn't know what I didn't know, and I had. I, I was not strong enough to tell my story. I thought that I would implode if if I if I talked about it publicly like that. I could talk about it with my sponsor and one on one all day long, but to 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 get up and tell my story and girl, God changed that. God changed that. You know, I started sponsoring um, a couple of years ago, and so I I, I am a sponsor and I am sponsored uh, still eleven and a half years ago I intend to I get to for the rest of my life um but just this past year I my sponsor's like are you ready to tell your story and all of a sudden the and I don't think it I don't think it I made the words but all of a sudden I said yes I'm willing and girl that was in I think it was in December of last year and in February of this year I spoke at the International Women's Conference uh, AA conference in Dallas Texas with thousands of women in attending you know and I and I've spoke and then this podcast thing just kind of it was when you're willing and, 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 and God is like, now let's go, let's go get some of my kids. Let's go help. 
Let's let me use you because he's not honey, he's a gentleman. He's not going to go where he's not invited. And when I finally invited him in to those decisions, I mean, it's just been amazingly beautiful as it has for you. I can't imagine the number of people that you have um, that God has used you to reach. Right. Well, the big book says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it's will always materialize. Yep. That God was preparing your path. Mm-hmm. You had to go through to get to the amazing work that you do. Thank you. you know, everybody has their own journey and path. And I, you know, I had mine. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not usually a speaker anymore or, you know, um, but I want to let the newcomer know that this works, right? So I do have more confidence today. I'm not as cocky uh, that I can save the world. Uh, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length, then you're willing to take certain steps. And that's where I will step in, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are given bad information and it's, that's really irritating. There's, in my opinion, and I don't often give my opinion, there's a minority of us doing the real deal mm-hmm. in AA and the rest of us are just like, I'm not sponsorship material. Or I'll just make meetings. And that's not, you know, the fellowship is not the program. Right. So it's a lot of, you know, meeting guys and girls and just showing up and fellowshipping. There are several meetings. And, in, and the yep. real message comes from the few of us that are doing the deal, but that's okay. Whatever right. way AA works. Right. Just get in. I don't just know how go. it works, but it works. And right. I'm okay with it. Right. Well, it's, um, yeah, it, I don't know what I would do. And, and you're right, it, this, to, to get the beauty and to get all of the benefits of the program, there are, there are certain facets that, that all have to be present. I mean, you, you can get sober, but to really live that life, just like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a life of, of literature, of sponsoring, of being sponsored, attending meetings, and, and being of service. You know, and, and when, you, when, you, when you put all those ingredients together, they just make something beautiful that works. Right. That's that saves. I mean, and, and, you know, God's able to show up and do things that I, too, never I never thought I would draw a sober breath right. ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm worse or better than anybody else, but my st- what I lived through was pretty bad way for God to get my attention. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I'm going to continuously make your life uncomfortable until you turn to me. And now I'm not, again, under any illusion that God's not in this world to serve my purposes. Right. I'm in the world to serve God's purpose. Mm-hmm. And I signed up for that. I'm, I'm committed to that. And because I'm committed to God and being a servant for God, he shows off in my life mm. in ways that I don't feel like I deserve. So when I open my eyeballs, I'm like, what can I do now, God? What can I do now? I'm so excited mm-hmm. about the day. Mm-hmm. My days are just jumbled. There's no time. There's, I literally have no time. I wake up at four, I'm running, I'm doing all of this till I close my eyeballs, you know? And it's just amazing. It's just been a really wonderful journey and I'm just, I'm okay with it. And I'm okay with my, the waving my hand, the hand I was dealt. Mm -hmm. Tell me, how's your relationship with your kids? Oh, so my, I'm still single. I got, you know, as soon as I got sober, I got single. I stayed single. I haven't even been on a coffee date. Mm. I'm not even like, I'm not complaining about that mm-hmm. i think i'm not sure if guys are intimidated by me or what i don't know maybe it's on time i'm not sure um maybe maybe god's preparing the right person for me who knows i'm open to that uh, my kids are my biggest support okay. my biggest fans ever uh, i have a wonderful relationship with my kids today my you know i got away with two really good kids my seven i was an alcoholic by 12 so my 17 year old will be 18 soon um i'm always concerned i see red flags mm-hmm. i'm always smelling a breath Telling her, I work in treatment. I'm, you know, here's a piss <laughs> bottle. Uh, so far, so good. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm scared. I have a healthy fear of that fentanyl stuff. I'm like, oh, you know, you don't know what kids are going to parties and they're mm. doing, I don't know, Xanax or Molly, and it's all kind with fentanyl. And parents are identifying their kids who never did drugs or alcohol in their life and right. their lifeless arm. And you know, so those are my fears today. 
but she's good. She texts me and she's like, Mom, I'm not doing drugs and alcohol. I'm like, okay. Well, all, yeah, and all you can do is, is educate as best you can, yeah. you know, and then, I mean, she's at the end of the day, just like you and I, she's God's kid, man. I mean, he'll, yeah. you know, eat. that's been the biggest thing. I'm glad you I, said that because, yeah. you know, uh, believing in God is one thing, but stepping back and fully trusting and relying that right. God, you got this, mm-hmm. your plan is always better than anything I could ever think of possibly has been really disciplining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes, it's it just hard. takes a lot of courage and discipline and. I don't know. I've been through, it's been, it was really bad. This is, like I said, this is just way easier and softer. Well, and, and, the, and the good that you're doing. So tell me, how do you start your day? So I wake up about 4 a.m. Mm. And um, I start my day off with a cup of coffee with God. And I have a dog, believe it or not. I'm not an, I, I bought the dog for my daughter. And in two days, she forgot about it. Oh, uh, the dog is a, a, a golden doodle. He's laying down over there. His name is Dude. Oh. <laughs> and um, I was angry because she didn't walk it or feed it. And I said, well, you got to get rid of the dog then. And she said, no, mom, you get rid of the dog. And I stopped and I made it. I said, wow, it's a commitment. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep the dog. So the dog just turned one. And I uh, I watched a YouTube video that says 15 ways not to hurt your dog's feelings. Oh. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. So now, um, I, you know, me and the dog walk at 5 a.m. Oh, we wow. listen to the birds. I don't, I don't and, drag him. And you're not annoyed. It. And you're not annoyed by him. <laughs> At all. But this dog is the love of my life. Oh, good. The love of my life. Um, I feed him. I cook for him. Oh, my goodness. I make him chicken and rice in the <laughs> crock pot. <laughs> I buy chicken livers in. Everything I do revolves around, I got to get home and feed the dog. I got to get home and walk the dog, you know? That's good. So the dog is my buddy now. My best companion. God, it's spelled backwards, right? Right. Right. That's um, amazing. Such a gift. That's I'm going to make him a therapy dog. Well, and that you can care for, for him and, and care for him in a proper way. And I mean, yeah. all the things that we didn't know how to do before. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know how to care for anything, let alone properly. I mean, it's oh, just. Oh, forget about yeah. it. Yeah. This dog saved my life uh, every day. Mm. He died, since the day I brought him home, didn't bark, doesn't crawl on furniture, doesn't scratch. Oh, wow. Um, a he's a, a golden retriever. Yeah. And he's got a really docile personality. And um, it's a couple of thousand dollars. I'm saving for it now. I'm. I'm but they go to therapy school, and he could be a licensed therapy dog. So oh, I can wow. bring him with me to work, to oh, hospitals, to cure uh, terminal cancer, depression. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You That's run a goal. you run a Facebook page that that you post um, things about sobriety and recovery and stuff like that. Tell tell us about that page so people can find you. Words to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, it, my life is an open book. You know, nothing about my life is a secret. Sure. Um, I'm not ashamed of being a believer. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not a particular religion. I, I do believe in Jesus Christ. I was brought up Christian. Uh, I'm definitely an all-inclusive person. Mm. I think that um, I sponsor Muslims, Jews, atheists, uh, anybody really. Mm-hmm. Black people, white people, old people, young sure, people. Sure. So there's you know when there's no discrimination. This disease does it not does discriminate, not discriminate. at all. Mm-mm. So I started a business called Born to Connect. I have a a lot of people that are on my side, they know I'm extremely dedicated to just posting um, positive things. What we're doing today, mm-hmm. willingness, mm-hmm. the willingness to go to any length. What length are you willing to go to? Right. And it's born um, with the number two, right? Yes. B-R-N-T-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. Born to connect. Okay. Right. No, face. Having fun in sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And being, a, just being a support. Yeah. Being of support for, with one another and huge and support. Being that light. 
my, you know, I'm not that I'm dedicated, but not as dedicated as Rachel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is she at? 27, 279,000 followers. Yeah, oh my God. For the purpose. Yeah. She's got a great page as well. Yeah. There's a lot of great support on, you know, social media. I, I, I think that it's very important to not, you know, to, to, to not think that that's the end all. I, I still will go to my grave saying knee to knee, you know, person to person when you're new into recovery is there's got to be those kinds of connections. Um, but, but, you know, the, especially with COVID taught us that, you know, we can connect in different ways, you know, um, and, and hey, especially modem, modem. the big book talked about right, it, right. Especially when, you know, during COVID, um, you know, uh, liquor stores were essential, but we were told we couldn't meet, you know, um, and that, that just put everything into perspective, at least for me. Think about that. So yeah, yeah, it sucked bad. So anyway, well, I am so grateful to you. I think you're a rock star. I think you're amazing. And I'm so glad to have met you and have a sister in recovery. Um, you know, Likewise. girl, I'm just, yeah, I'm impressed by you and, and just keep being the light, man. We just got to keep shining for those ones that are still lost in that darkness. For Amen. sure. For sure. All right, my sister. Well, you have a very blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Um, you can find us in, uh, the, we've got t-shirts that we sell that, um, $5 for every t-shirt that goes to help pro- uh, producing the show at PurposeDrivenSobriety.com. Check that out. Um, otherwise, we'll see you. Thanks, Gina. I appreciate you, sweetie. Have a blessed Thank day. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. bye-bye Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.